0: So, um, as as Pastor Timothy just shared, the title of my sermon is, or the title of the the entire weekend is actually The Times We Live In. And this evening, the title for this Bible study, I'll I'll actually call this a Bible study, and I'm going to invite you to, if you don't have your Bibles with you, this would be a good time to go get it, um, because we're going to be searching through the scriptures a lot, and it's going to be more of a Bible study uh, than, than really a sermon. And um, we're going to be comparing Bibles um, verses with other Bible verses and whatnot. So I think it will be a good time to go get your Bibles. Um, but the title of my message this evening is The True Sign, The True Sign. And by the way, if you if I freeze at any moment or if you can't hear me very well, um, just let me know um, so that I can repeat what I've just said. And um, I'm going to look forward to to hearing from you as well. I'm going to be asking questions, and I will greatly appreciate it if you can blurt out an answer. Um, anybody, or, or I'm just going to start calling on names and um, uh, I'll embarrass you by calling your name. But but anyway, if you can, uh, I, I really look forward to your input. But the title of my message this evening is The True Sign. You know, as, as all of you have experienced, 2020 was probably the worst year of many of your lives and a very interesting year. And I do think that for many of you, if not most of you, or if not all of you, the thought of the end of the world has probably, you know, come up in your mind, and you've probably wondered, is the second coming of Jesus near, or are we nearing um, the end of time? So, I do want us to think about the end of time this evening, and to do that, we're going to look at Matthew chapter 24. And Many of you probably know Matthew 24 um, as the chapter that talks about the signs of the second coming of Jesus, which it does talk about. But we're going to be looking at Matthew 24 for from a different perspective. I think um, for me, this was a, a a new perspective as well for me. But I think it would be it would end up being a blessing uh, by by looking at it from a different perspective. So let's go to Matthew chapter 24. Matthew is the first book in the New Testament, right after Malachi, right before Mark. And keep your bookmark in Matthew chapter 24, because we're going to be going back and forth, um, looking at different uh, verses in the Bible. So Matthew 24, verse 1 says, Then Jesus went out and departed from the temple, and his disciples came up to show him the buildings of the temple. Um, if you look at, um, so if you search on Google and look up um, the the temple in Jerusalem. It was a beautiful structure. And actually, people from around the world considered the temple in Jerusalem that, that Herod built to be one of the, the most beautiful um constru- built building that was that was that was existing in the first century. So so the Jews were, were very proud of this, not just because it was the most beautiful place, but because this was the religious center. So whoever was a faithful god-believing jew when they thought about the temple there was a special emotion that was attached to this temple this was a holy place it was a holy location it was a beautiful location and you know this was the center of their worship so they're they're showing jesus this, this temple and they're so proud of it and verse two jesus says something very surprising Verse two, Jesus said to them, "Do you not see all these things? Referring to the temple, assuredly I say to you, not one stone shall be left here upon another that shall not be thrown down." So he's, Jesus is pointing at the temple and he says, "That beautiful structure you see there, that that beautiful church, that beautiful temple, one day it's gonna." come down and it's going to be collapsed to the point where not even one stone will be left on the other. Now, I don't know what that what the equivalent of that will be today, but if you're living in Los Angeles, I think the equivalent would be something like, you know, the Getty Center and um, the Staple Center and um, I don't know what's out there. The Disney, the Disney theater and the disneyland all of that together being collapsed in one day let's say you know terrorists come and they destroy all of those those places at the same time that's probably what would be equivalent to the destruction of the temple so that so the disciples as they're hearing this they're thinking the only way that that can happen is if we reach the end of the world So they asked this question to Jesus. So verse three, it says, now, as Jesus sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to Jesus privately saying, tell us, when will these things be? And what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? Now, before you read Matthew chapter 24, so let me ask you this. Some of you, uh, or, or most of you probably have Matthew 20, have read Matthew 24 before. What are the signs of Jesus' coming? According to Jesus, before before reading it. And, and this is an actual question. I would like to hear back from you. What are some of the signs that you see of Jesus' second coming, that you see in Matthew 24? Actual question. Natural disasters. Okay, natural disasters. Anyone else? Wars. Wars, okay. Anyone else? I'll take one more. Anyone else? Sign of second coming of Jesus. Natural disasters, wars. False prophets. False prophets, okay. Thank you, thank you. All right, so let's actually look at what the signs of Jesus' second coming are. And... And I think you'll be a little bit surprised to find out what the true sign of Jesus' second coming is. Now, as Jesus, now, now there are three questions that are involved here. The first question is this. When will these things be? Okay. Secondly, what will be the sign of your coming? Thirdly, what is the sign of the end of the age? Those are the three questions. And Jesus does answer those three questions, but it's not in the way that we usually think of them. So Jesus starts answering the question, verse 4 says, and Jesus answered and said to them, this is when these things will be. No, he doesn't say that. These are the signs. No, that's not what he says. These are the signs of the end of the age. That's not what Jesus says. Jesus starts off with this. He says, take heed that no one deceives you. That's the very first thing that Jesus says to the um, answering the question that the disciples have. For many will come in my name saying, I am the Christ and will deceive many. So the first thing that he says, don't be deceived. There there are going to be people who who are going to try to deceive you. There will be false prophets and and false Christs claiming to be the true prophets and true Christs, but do not be deceived. Now, let's keep reading about these deceivers. So verse 11 says, then many false prophets will rise up and deceive many. So he talks about two groups. He talks about the false, false um, Christ and the false prophets. And what are they after? They're after deceiving you. They're wanting to deceive you. And how do they deceive is the question now. Now, verse 24 how do the false Christs and false prophets deceive? It says, for false Christs and false prophets will rise and show great what? They will show great signs and wonders to deceive. So how do they deceive? They, they deceive using signs and wonders. Now let's go back to the original question. What did the disciples ask? When will these things be? And what is the what? What are the signs? Of your coming and what are the signs of the end of the age now this is the first time that jesus is using the word signs in this chapter jesus hasn't used the word sign before so we've mentioned wars we mentioned natural disaster we mentioned false christ so let's actually go to those and let's see how jesus refers to those to those verse five um Actually, verse six, it says, and you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not troubled for all these things must come to pass. But the end is not yet. So wars and rumors of wars, are they signs of the end? According to what Jesus says in verse six. No, these things will happen. But when these things happen, the end is not yet. So these are not the sign of the end, according to what Jesus says here. Verse 7, for nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom, and there will be famines, pestilences, and earthquakes in various places. All these are the signs of the end. Yes or no? No. All these are the what? All these are the beginning of sorrows. So Jesus is something very interesting. Now, the disciples are asking the question about when will the end be? But Jesus, rather answering the, the question, when will the end be, he actually answers the question by saying when the beginning will be, when the beginning of the end will be. There's going to be wars. There's going to be rumors of wars. But guess what? Those are not the things that will bring an end. Okay. And there will be groups of people who will perform signs and wonders. But who are they? They are the false prophets and the false Christs that will use those signs to do what? To deceive. Now, after Jesus uses the the word signs related, relating it to the false Christ and the false prophets, there's another time that Jesus uses the word sign. So let's go there. Matthew chapter 24 and verse 29. What's the other time that Jesus uses the word sign? It says here immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light. The stars will fall from heaven and the powers of the heavens will be shaken then what appears? Then the sign of the Son of Man will appear in heaven, and then all the tribes of the earth will mourn, and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. So this is the first true sign that Jesus gives of the second coming. The false prophets And the false Christ, they they come up with their own signs to deceive people. There are wars and rumors of wars, which are not the sign of the end, but the, the sign of the beginning of the end. But here, finally, Jesus gives us the sign of the second coming, the sign of the end. And what is the sign of the end? It says, verse 30, then the sign of the Son of Man will appear in heaven. And then all the tribes of the earth will mourn, and they will see the Son of Man coming in on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. So what is the sign of second coming? When Jesus comes back, that's the sign that Jesus has come back. Now, that sounds very strange. But but but, 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 but hold on. Let's, let's just keep your thought for a moment and, and, and stay with me for a moment. Let me repeat what I just said. When Jesus appears in heaven, returning, that's the sign that Jesus is returning. Now, throughout Matthew 24 and 25, Jesus is going to repeat this point again and again. Matthew 24, verse 36. But of that hour, day and hour, no one knows. Not even the angels of heaven but my father only verse 42 watch therefore for you do not know what hour your Lord is coming verse 44 therefore you also be ready for the son of man is coming at an hour you do not expect and and for and a couple times more Jesus repeats again and again and says you do not know when I am going to come back and here is the sign of when I am coming back when I appear, that's the sign that I'm back. Yes, there's going to be wars and rumors of wars. Yes, there are going to be famines, but those are not the true signs of the end. The true sign of the end is when Jesus comes back, that's the sign that he's back. That's that's very strange, but but stay with me, okay? Now, Jesus makes this point, um, now, in the, in the form of a story, in the form of parables. So let's go to the, let's, let's look at two parables in Matthew 24 and 25. So Matthew 24, 45, it says, Who then is a faithful and wise servant whom his master made ruler over his household to give them food in due season? Blessed is that servant whom his master, when he comes, will find so doing. Surely I say to you that he will make him ruler over all his goods. But if that evil servant says in his heart, my master is delaying his coming and begins to beat his fellow servants and to eat and drink with the the drunkards, the master of that servant will come on a day when he is not looking for him at an hour that he is not aware of. So what is this parable about? So, a a master has servants and he goes away and there is an evil servant and what is he saying thinking in his mind the master is delaying his coming the master is going to come late and what does he do he lives a terrible life he's not getting ready for the coming of the master if you will why because the master is coming when the master is coming late Now, let's look at another parable. Now, the next parable is going to make the very opposite point. Matthew 25 and verse 1. Then the kingdom of heaven shall be likened to, to ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Now, five of them were wise and five were foolish. Those were foolish took their lamps and took no oil with them. But the wise took oil in their vessels with their lamps. But while the bridegroom was delayed, they all slumbered and slept. What happened to the bridegroom? Bridegroom's coming. It was delayed. Now, who were the wise virgins? Were they the ones who had extra oil or were they the ones that did not have extra oil? it were the ones it was the ones who had extra oil why would somebody have extra oil because the bridegroom could come when because the bridegroom could come late now now let's compare these two parables because these two parables are apparently making the opposite point in the first parable the evil the bad guy is thinking that the master master will come late so he's living a terrible life so the bad guy thinks the master is coming late now in the second parable that we saw the evil Women Or the foolish virgins, they're thinking that the master or the bridegroom will come soon, so they don't have enough oils in their lamp. So let's open it up for discussion. Why is, what is the point that Jesus is trying to make through these two two parables? I want you to give me the, the lesson of these two parables. Anyone? It's okay if you're wrong. I'm very often wrong, anyway. So um, let, let's just share our thoughts. What what point is Jesus trying to trying to make with with this very opposite two stories? In in one story, the good guys are thinking that the master will come soon. In the other story, the good guys are thinking that the master might come late. So what is Jesus trying to teach us? Anybody? All right. So let me. Um, yes. Chloe. I have maybe. Um. Don't try to assume when Jesus will come. Okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. Thank you. Thank you. Candace, were you trying to unmute yourself? I saw your finger kind of. No. Hi, Pastor B. Hi. <laughs> um, I mean, basically, I think, was it Chloe that said the same? So it's like whether you think he's coming early or late, they could both be wrong. You just really don't know when he's coming. Right. Exactly. I think both of you are on spot there. And the point that Jesus is trying to make is be ready for Jesus, whether he comes very early, whether he comes tomorrow or whether he comes a 100 years down the road. Be ready for both scenarios. Why? Because we do not know when Jesus will be coming back. What's the sign of Jesus second coming? The sign of second Jesus second coming is Jesus second coming. That's the only ultimate sign of Jesus second coming that we have in the Bible. But there's another one. But before we get to the other one, let me let's go to Matthew 12 verse 38. Matthew 12 and verse thirty-eight. And if if you have any questions, please feel free to to stop me, and um, and uh, share your thoughts or questions. Matthew twelve and verse thirty-eight. It says here, then some of the scribes and Pharisees answered saying, teacher, we want to see a what from you? We want to see a sign from you. Verse 39, but he answered and said to them, an evil and adulterous generation seeks after a what? Seeks after a sign. Jesus repeats the very same saying in Matthew chapter 16. Again, people come to Jesus and they, they ask Jesus for a sign. And Jesus repeats the very same thing again. An evil and wicked generation seeks for a sign. And Jesus says, and no sign will be given to it except the sign of prophet Jonah. So what is the sign of prophet Jonah? A miraculous um. I don't know, a miraculous event, feeding the 5,000, Jesus' resurrection. Is that it? So let's, let's see what the sign of prophet Jonah is. Verse 40, for as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. So is that the sign of Jonah? I don't think so. The sign of Jonah you see in verse 41, the men of Nineveh will rise up in the judgment with this generation and condemn it. Why? Because they repented at the preaching of Jonah. Why did the people of of Nineveh repent? Because they saw Jonah being eaten up by the fish and after three days he comes out of the belly of the fish No, that's not the reason why they repented. The sign that was given to the people of Nineveh, that was given to them to repent, was not this miraculous sign of of Jonah being eaten. What was the sign? It was at the preaching of Jonah that Nineveh repented. So what was the sign that was being given? It was the word. The word was what was supposed to bring about a transformation in their hearts. Not the miraculous signs, not the famines, not the pestilences, not the wars. It should be the word of God that prepares us for the coming of Jesus. So let's go back to Matthew 24 now. Matthew chapter 24. And there is another sign that Jesus gives of his second coming, of the end. Matthew 24, starting from verse 12, it says, And because lawlessness will abound, the love of many will grow cold. But he who endures to the end shall be saved. And before I go to verse 14, let me share a quote from you from, uh, from Ellen White. And it's found in uh, Review and Herald, August 2nd, 1881. Let me just share my screen with you. I don't have any fancy PowerPoint. I just have it on my um, Word document here. But it says here this. The shortness of time is urged as an incentive for us to seek righteousness and to make Christ our friend. So let me translate this into, into something that we can readily understand. What we very often do is... We say, Jesus is coming soon. Jesus is, can come in the next year. So please repent. You got to you know, get your act together and, and you got to get ready for Jesus coming. Because we look at the signs. We see the coronavirus. We see what's happening with the government. Jesus is coming very soon. Get your act together. That's what she's talking about here. But she says, this is not the great motive. It savors of selfishness. Is it necessary that the terrors of the day of God be held before us to compel us through fear to right action? This ought not to be. Jesus is attractive. And let me add one more word after that. Jesus is attractive enough for repentance. We shouldn't have the coronavirus motivating us to believe in Jesus more. We shouldn't have the vaccines or the insurrection um, in the capital or whatever it could be, or the famines in different parts of the world or global warming or whatever it may be to motivate us. Oh, Jesus is coming soon. Oh, Jesus is coming in five years. I got to get ready. No, Jesus is attractive enough. He is full of love mercy, and compassion. He proposes to be our friend, to walk with us through all the rough pathways of life. He says to you, I am the Lord thy God. Walk with me, and I will fill thy path with light. That's the reason why we should be ready. That's the reason why we should repent. That's the reason why we should get our act together, not because of the things we see around us, but because of the person, because of the Jesus Christ that we see. So let me stop sharing. And let's go back to Matthew chapter 24. Let's read verse 12 and 13 again. It says, because lawlessness will abound, the love of many will grow cold, but he who endures to the end shall be saved. And this gospel of this kingdom will be preached in all the world as a witness to all the nations, and then the end will come. So what is the sign of the second coming of Jesus? It's a sign that we participate in. It's something that we do. It's not something that we see happening. It's something that we do. What is it? It's the gospel being spread. It's the good news of Jesus Christ going forward. It's love being spread. Why, is, why do I say love? Because verse 12 says, the love of many will grow cold, but the gospel of the kingdom. In other words, what brings the world to the, to an end is not what the pope does. It's not global warming. It's not coronavirus. It's not an econo- economic downfall. It's not going into a recession, economic recession or whatever it may be, or a world war three or whatever it may be. That's not what brings the world to an end. What brings the world to an end is love. We can think of the end of the world as, oh, all these calamities coming upon us. No, the end of the world is love going forward and bringing the world to an end. So 2 Peter 3.12 tells us that we should be hastening the coming of Jesus. And what does the preparation and the hastening of Jesus' second coming look like? I think the hint is in verse 12. Verse 12 says, and because what will abound? lawlessness will abound. So what does the book of Book of Matthew tell us about lawlessness? We hear about lawlessness in the previous chapter. Let's go to Matthew 23 and verse 27. Matthew 23, 27. So how do we prepare for the second coming, whether Jesus comes today or a hundred years down the road? How do we prepare for it? The opposite of preparation is lawlessness verse 27 says woe to you scribes and pharisees hypocrites now let's go to verse 28 even so you also outwardly appear righteous to men but inside you are full of hypocrisy and what you are full of lawlessness and hypocrisy this is the opposite of preparation for the coming of jesus and meeting jesus now, I don't know if it was last week or so, but I, I asked Pastor Timothy, um, Pastor, what, what would you want me to, to, to preach about? And uh, he told me anything other than the Sermon on the Mount, because he's been preaching on the Sermon on the Mount uh, for the past few weeks, I guess. And, uh, I'm, and, I, I, and I told him, I won't get into the Sermon on the Mount. And I guess I lied, because I, I am going to get into the Sermon on the Mount. Why? Because what you see in Matthew 23 is the very opposite of what you see in Matthew 5 to 7, where you have the Sermon on the Mount. How does verse 27 start? It says, woe to you. And then Jesus uses that phrase, woe to you, eight times. Woe to you, woe to you, woe to you, woe to you. What would be the opposite of woe? Well, what's the opposite word of woe? It's the word blessing. But Jesus says in Matthew five, "Blessed are, blessed are, blessed are." How many does? How many times does he say it? He says it nine times. You have eight woes compared with nine blessings. There are other similarities. I I want you to keep your bookmarks in Matthew 23 and go to Matthew 5. There's a lot of similarities, actually. You see it in the very beginning of of these two sermons, actually. Matthew Matthew 5, verse 1. It says, And seeing the multitudes, Jesus went up on the mountain, and when he was seated, his disciples came to him. Matthew 23. Then Jesus spoke to the multitudes and to his disciples, saying, The scribes and the Pharisees sit in Moses' seat. Okay. from the very get go, Jesus is seated, and in Matthew 23, the Pharisees and the scribes are seated. And what do the scribes do? Verse, verse, um. Verse, let's go to verse 2, verse 3. Therefore, whatever they tell you to observe, that observe and do, but do not do according to their works, for they say and do not do. They say they're teaching, but what do they do? They don't do it. Go to Matthew 5 and verse 19. Whoever therefore breaks one of the least of these commandments and teaches men so shall be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does and teaches them, he shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. So in Matthew 5, you have people that are not only teaching, but they're also doing. But in Matthew 23, you have these people that are seated as teachers, calling God, their being called teachers, but they're teaching, but they're not doing. And you know, I could go point after point after point after point, you know, comparing these to uh, Matthew 5 to 7 with Matthew 23 and how they're opposites. There, there's so many parallels. But since I'm coming to the to, to the end of my time here, the point I'm trying to make is this. Matthew 23 is the opposite of preparing for the second coming. And what that means is Matthew 5 to 7, living the lifestyle of the Sermon on the Mount is preparation for the second coming of Jesus. It is preparation for meeting Jesus face to face. Let's just compare just one more thing. I'm sorry. But uh, Matthew 23 and the first woe that he pronounces to the scribes and Pharisees. Matthew 23 verse 13. He says, but woe to you, scribes and Pharisees. Hypocrites, for you shut up the kingdom of heaven against men. What do they do? They shut up the kingdom of heaven. That's the first woe. Let's look at the first blessing that Jesus gives. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the what of heaven? Theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So in Matthew 23, you have people that are shutting the door to the kingdom of heaven. In Matthew 5, you have people that are entering into the kingdom of heaven. So when Pastor Timothy is preaching to you about Sermon on the Mount, it's not just warm, fuzzy feeling things that Jesus is talking about all being nice to other people. No, that's not what Jesus is talking about. Jesus is talking about serious end time stuff here. And if we truly love Jesus and if we truly want to see Jesus face to face, this is the lifestyle that we should be living. Before Jesus Jesus started his ministry, John the Baptist comes preparing the way of Jesus. And what was his message? Matthew 3 says, he says, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. What does he say? He says, repent. Matthew 4, 17, Jesus starts preaching. And what does he say? He says, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Mark chapter 6, Jesus sends out the disciples two by two. Mark chapter 6, verse 12, what do the disciples say going out to the villages? They say, repent. Jesus ascends into heaven, and the disciples start preaching their first sermon. And what is their message in Acts chapter 2? Their message is repent. The word repent in Greek, what does it mean? It means to change your mind. It means to change your mindset. We have to change our mindset from the Matthew 23 life, which is a life of hypocrisy, a life of of showing others. We have to change that mindset to a Matthew 5 to 7 mindset. So when Pastor Timothy is preaching to you on the Sermon on the Mount, Hey, give give your greatest, give give all your attention to him because he's preaching to you about the end of time and how we should be living in these times. Yes, Jesus could come in a year. And the first century Christians, the, the, the early Christians, they lived as if Jesus would come very soon. That's why Hebrews 1 tells us that we are living in the last days writing in the first century that they said that we are in the end times. Again, in First Corinthians 10, Paul says we are living in the end times. He says that in the first century, he lived as if Jesus would come in his own lifetime. And I, as a Seventh-day Adventist, I believe Jesus is coming soon because that was the promise that Jesus gave in, in Revelation. He says, I am coming quickly. He says, I am coming soon. And I think we should live as if Jesus is coming soon. But if Jesus were to come 10 years down the road, 50 years down the road, 100 years down the road, I should be ready for that as well. I should be walking with Jesus right now. As Enoch walked with Jesus every day. And God could not stand Enoch being away from him. So when he's 3,365 years old, God says, we've been apart enough. Come on, Enoch, let's go home. Why? Because he was living Matthew 5 through 7 in his life. He was experiencing Jesus in his life. And Jesus was being shown in his life. Not only was he talking faith, he was living out faith. People saw faith in the life of Enoch. My friends in Glendale, as I wrap up my message, I just want to encourage you. As the end, as the world comes to an end, we don't know when there will be. It says the love of many will grow cold. But what will bring an end to the world, it's not the wars, it's not the calamities, it's not the disasters, it's love. It's love going forward in words and in deeds and in our attitudes and in our lives. Live out Matthew 5 to 7 that's the end time message that's what will bring an end to the world